Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Just as you called this morning to come on your show, our youngest son came running back in the house. Mom! Dad! Oh, boy. We go back out. We are now three for three in the sand <laughs> he, hit the, he hit the house. All he hit three the... of our sons have backed out of the garage and hit the house. <laughs> three for three. <laughs> this is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. So Joseph O'Hara, currently of Oakland, California, and always of Norfolk, Virginia, writes, the very first time I drove a car, it was a 91 VW Fox wagon, manual transmission, no power steering. I did not have my learner's permit at this time. My mother said to my older sister prior to this, when your brother gets his learner's permit, be nice to him when he starts to learn how to drive. My sister, of course, took this to mean, teach me how to drive. So one day, leaving the neighborhood pool and driving to our friend's house, my sister decides it would be a good idea to let me drive. While I steered the car and pushed the pedals, she would shift the gears. It seemed like a good idea for a 15-year-old without his learner's permit and a 17-year-old to be doing. The neighborhood we were in was an old residential neighborhood in Norfolk, Virginia, with narrow streets and cars parked on both sides of those streets. We almost made it to her friend's house. Going around the last turn, I hit the gas and the brake at the same time, went up over the curb at five miles an hour and ran over a stop sign. Adrenaline rushing, I did not know what to do. My sister quickly got out, stood the stop sign back up, told me to get out of the driver's seat, and we switched places. We drove the three more doors down the street we needed to go and picked up our friend. The stop sign stayed like that for at least the next decade, according to one of my high school friends, as it was next to his childhood home. From there, we drove back to our home, where a couple of hours later, where a couple of hours later, our parents got home to find me sulking in the corner, and my mother looks at me and asked, Joseph, what's wrong? I responded sorrowfully, my life is over. The funny part is my sister is the one who got in trouble. <laughs> Everybody. We have to unpack that email a little bit. Well, go ahead. One, coolest sister ever. Yes. Takes yes. over the driver's seat. And two, they actually pick up the friend. Yes. Yes. So they, they continue on their way and do what they're supposed to do. Everyone has a story about a child in their house when they reach a certain age who got a, uh, a driver's license. And within the first month and often within the first week and sometimes within the first day gets in an accident. You know, I don't really want to talk about it too much, but one of my children hit a bus. <laughs> I think three days in, hit a bus. A bus, you'd think, whoa, that bus is pretty big. I could see this bus. I could see it coming. So this stuff happens. Michael, by the way, wearing his Peloton shirt. You oh, wanted, you noticed. Well, well, how could I not notice it so says appara- Peloton? Apparently, oh, it does? <laughs> yes. In big, bold yes. letters? Yes, Apparently, I only get one wear before I wash it, but I'm actually looking for that tight fit. I left this morning, and Liz just looks at me and goes, it's the Cody fit. It's the Cody fit. Okay. You'll have to, you'll have to yeah, do a, a XOXO Cody ride to understand that reference. Um, from Zach Unger. This is Zach Unger from White Plains, New York, fellow Binghamton University graduate. Not sure if you saw the news yesterday, but Binghamton basketball did not extend Coach Dempsey's contract after nine years as the head man there. I know you were a fan of Coach Dempsey. What do you think of this decision not to extend his contract? Hopefully they can find someone to lead this team back to their winning ways. What winning ways in the near future? (laughs) And bring an America East championship to Vestal. Best regards, Zach Unger, P.S. and I. I'd say this P.S. for Michael. Michael, I just got a Peloton. Would love to have some friendly competition on the bike. 
this is uh, I now have a hashtag and I'm getting more high fives than ever. But apparently it's <laughs> it's a hashtag so that people know I'm not a predator if they see me on the leaderboard. Hashtag Peloton dads. Okay, just so I, just so I fit into that. So you might oh, see sure. me climbing the board. Okay, I don't know. I got a PR yesterday. PR is personal record. Oh yeah. What was oh, well it done? Uh, I mean, three three ten for a twenty. I don't know. I have no idea what that. If I usually say that I have, do you have three tens for a twenty? And if somebody gives me thirty dollars, <laughs> yeah, pretty good. I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> that's a good trade. <laughs> pretty happy. All right, so let me let me deal with Tommy Dempsey, who is you know uh, somebody I know and someone I played golf with and someone I like very very much. Michael, you played with Tommy as well. We played Binghamton Country Club with Tommy Dempsey a number of times. Um, he was there for nine years, and in that period of time, uh, Binghamton did very well academically with their basketball team, which mattered and matters, but uh, on the court, they weren't very good. The teams never even finished 500, neither in the overall or in the league, I don't believe. So if you're asking me as a sports writer, which was the chosen profession of my life, if you're asking me as a sports writer, after nine years, if a coach does not have at least a 500 record in the league that he competes in, should he get another deal? I'd have to say no. And I think that everybody would have to say no. It doesn't mean I don't like Tommy Dempsey. doesn't mean I don't wish him all the best. doesn't mean I don't think he's a good coach. Because I think he won a D3 national championship at one point. And I think he's all of those things. It just, you know, there was no particular progress <clears throat> with the Binghamton basketball team. And when Zach Gunger says to get back to their winning ways, they had winning ways once. They made the NCAAs, and then one of their players was arrested for uh, dealing cocaine, and another, I think, fled the country, uh, you know, ahead of a murder <laughs> investigation or something, something terrible. It was, it was terrible. They cut it back, and, and they, we're not good. We're not a good basketball team. Should we be a good basketball team? Should is an interesting question. I don't really think it matters, although what you, what you want, what you want out of your school is to be competitive in the conference. Not necessarily, they're not going to beat Vermont. They don't have a program like Vermont. I understand that. To be competitive in the conference, to at least get to about 500 in the conference. Uh, they have appointed an assistant, one of the assistants, as the interim coach for this coming season. That's fine. And if he does well, I guess he will keep the job. And if he doesn't do well, they'll conduct a search. I'm sure that I could find a bunch of people who would want to be the coach at Binghamton. And they would be, relatively speaking, big-name people because, you know, that's who I run into in the course of my job. Camp, camp counselors. Yeah, camp counselors and stuff like that. 80-year-old <laughs> camp imagine? counselors. Oh, Larry would do it in a heartbeat. Oh, in a heartbeat. Because he, he knows the roads because he used to go to Kiuma. No, no, Larry, Larry Brown would take that job. I, you know, I don't know that they would reach out to Larry, but, you know, Larry would take that job. But I know some other people as well. Uh, if I'm asked, um, I will help. Uh, and... Um, and if I'm asked about Tommy Dempsey, I will say exactly what I just said, that I like him very much, but that, you know, after nine years, it, it, it's okay to say, okay, we're going to go in a different direction. Part ways, as people say. They didn't extend the deal. I wanted to talk about a couple of other people, however, briefly, uh, who passed away in the last few days. And, and one of them, <clears throat> I knew, Mike Pearl, and I'll start with Mike Pearl, and I'll talk about Irv Cross as well. Mike Pro was a producer for a lot of different networks, a sports producer. Um, Mike Pearl at one point lived in an apartment with Kevin O'Malley and Mike Lupica uh, on the east side of New York City, and I frequented that apartment, so I got to know Mike Pearl, who was 
Mike Pearl, if not everybody can say, I did something that had never been done before. Mike Pearl was producing, among other things, the Triple Crown, I think for ABC before it went to NBC. And Mike Pearl and Bob Fishman, who was the director, came up with the idea to outfit the Outrider with a microphone so that when the race was over, you would cut to the Outrider who would interview the winning jockey, like within seconds of the race. The Outrider's name to start was Charlie Canty. She was a horse person herself, a rider, understood the field tremendously. The first time I saw it, I went, oh my God, what a brilliant idea. So instead of waiting for the race to be over by 10 minutes and the jockey to weigh out and ceremony to begin, they got the jockey right then and there. And that was Pearl's idea. That was really good. As I say, he produced a lot of things. One of the things that he produced was um, the NFL show, NFL Live, NFL Today, whatever it was called. It's the best pregame show of all time in any sport in the history of American sports. That was the one where Brent Musburger opened it by saying, you are looking live. <laughs> and it was at a particular football stadium. And on that show were Irv Cross and Jimmy the Greek Snyder and Phyllis George along with Brent Musburger. Wilbon takes a lot of pride um, as he said the other day, that both Irv Cross and Brent Musburger went to Northwestern, where they met and where they were pals, you know, when they went to school together. There's never been as good a show, there's never been a better show in terms of pregame than that show. It got fantastic ratings. You know, people tuned in to hear and watch what those four people had to say, and each one was perfectly cast. Irv Cross was a former defensive back for the Philadelphia Eagles and the Los Angeles Rams of some renown, and he was the first black analyst ever on national television for football. He did that for three or four years when the idea came from Bob Wessler, who was running CBS Sports, to put together this pregame show, the first live pregame show. They had never been live before, and I believe this was in 1971, and it took off like a rocket ship, and there were some hard moments i mean brent and the greek got in a fist fight once like they got in a fist fight like, come on <laughs> you know that doesn't happen all that often but people said oh why is phyllis george on she's a former miss america she was really really good irv cross was really really good jimmy the greek you may not have liked him you, know, you may not have liked that role as the gambler guy on that show and the nfl was had was problematic for the nfl because the nfl was trying to pretend that nobody bet on football and they didn't want to have anything to do officially with betting on football unlike today when it is legal to do so but that show was great i once got an offer to and pearl produced it and bob fishman directed it uh the surviving members now are fishman and brent musburger i once got an offer uh at cbs to write for brent musburger to write, and I, and I was talking with a guy named Van Gordon Sauter, who was running CBS Sports after Wessler. And this was in the mid-70s. I was working in New York uh, at the New York Times, a bit 76, 77, 78, somewhere around there when I was working there. And I went to meet Van Gordon Sauter, and I think I've told everybody this a million times, that the smartest thing I ever heard from any television executive was from Don Olmeyer, who told me, as I quote many, many times, many times, 
the answer to all your questions is money. <laughs> you know, I just, like you just, you, I should get as Michael has his Peloton shirt. I should get a T-shirt that says simply, "The answer to all your questions is money," because he was right. Olmeyer was right. Well, the second smartest thing I ever heard was from Van Gordon Sauter, S-A-U-T-E-R, who was running CBS. And in those days, and for anybody under the age of 40, you will not even be able to relate to this. <clears throat> but in those days, there were not such things as remote controls. You could not stand at your sink and press a button and change the channel on the television set. You could not do that. That did not exist at that point. The only way to change the channel, the only way to make something louder, was to put your hands on the television set and do it by yourself. Nigel and Sean, Michael doesn't remember this. Nigel and Sean, do you remember this or are you oh, not old enough? No, absolutely. Yeah, get off the right. chair, change the, change the channel, by right. the way, to one of like three other channels. That's really all, all there were. That's yeah. all there were. That's all there were. Sean, you're old enough to remember that? Uh, absolutely. I, uh, I, okay. And living in the Midwest, there was a big gap between Channel 31 and Channel 43. So it was and you had to do it by turning. hand. Right, you had to do that. <laughs> so he says to me, Van, Gorder, Van Gordon Sauter says to me, would you consider writing for Brent Musburger? And I go, writing for Brent Musburger? Brent was a sports columnist in Chicago. Well, what, what do you want me to write? You want me to write like you're looking live? And he goes, yeah, we want you to write everything. I want you to write everything because we put it in a prompt. We want you to write everything. And I go, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm a sports writer at the New York Times at the moment. I don't know that I want to do this. And I said, I, I don't know anything about television. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know anything about television. And he said to me, the only thing you have to know is when you turn it to the right, it gets louder. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> when you turn it to the right, it gets louder. That is the second greatest thing I have ever heard from a television person. When you turn it to the right, it gets louder. So he's demystifying what television is. He's saying, don't worry. Now, I didn't take that job. I don't know how serious they were even about offering that job. I didn't take that job. And no regrets. You know, there's a lot of jobs in my life I didn't take. And some I have some marginal regrets. But at my age now, looking back on this career and looking what it, what it became, what it morphed into... Whatever I did had to have put me on the right path. There's just no question about that. So I'm not, I'm not particularly worried about that. But Irv Cross deserves somebody to send him out nicely, as Wilbon and I tried to do the other day on PTI, and so does Mike Pearl. Um, these people were really good. There's a lot of people who aren't good. A lot of people have jobs and you go, how did that person get a job? But they, you know, these two, these two were awfully good. They were awfully good. Um, as as producer and as talent it television those people who do television well it comes very easy to them whatever you do well in your life comes easy to you so you don't respect it because it came easy to you i'm the first time i did radio everybody said you're really good at this i go really so i just didn't pay any attention to anybody who wasn't good at it but most people aren't good at most things. It's hard. I tried to learn to play the piano. It was awful. I couldn't do it. It's a great failing. I thought, why can't I do this? Well, I, I couldn't. But people, people who play the piano well, it comes easy to them. Right, Michael? 
Like that's that's why nobody respects what they do well because it wasn't hard to do. Sure, I'm, I'm going to let you continue down this thread because I like where it's going. For you, it was more you didn't want to practice, nor did you want to listen to Glenn, our wonderful piano instructor, who came to the house. When I'm done doing everything, if I can still sit up and I have any intellect at all, I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try piano again. We have the piano teacher waiting. Yeah, I'm, well, I've got other piano. Yes, right. So I'm going to try and do that. Did this came some singing comes easy to you. Music comes relatively easy to you, so you probably don't respect that. For a lot of people, it's really hard, and they're afraid. You can perform. Yes, it's the the performance. The performance. Where singing in front of people. Yes, you learn how to do it. It's fun. Yeah, you like the eyes on you. Right, but but the people that don't, they really don't. You know, the people that that say I don't like public speaking. I'm afraid of public speaking. I I I. It's I don't know what to say to that other than really because it's sort of fun. You know, what's fun? Applause is fun. And the only way you get any real sort of applause, and I don't mean literal applause, although that's fun too, is performance. Can you perform? Not everybody can. Well, Pearl could, and Irv Cross could. And I just wanted to, I wanted to send them out in that way. We will take a break when we come back. Jason Lockin, four of CBS Sports, will try to catch us up on the tremendous movement of players in the NFL. I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the FitBot ad. I sort of get out of the way in, of this because Nigel does this, and, and it says, you know, there's no better feeling than finding your stride. FitBot makes it easier to find the exercises, pace, and intensity that gets you better results by building a fitness program that continually adapts to you. Build the momentum you need for a strong start to the year with 25% off a FitBot membership now through February 28th. So that's over. So they sent us copy that's useless. Um, so next time we should say to the FitBot people, if you got a promotion and we're at March 3rd, it doesn't really help us. But, Nigel, you do this. You know how it works. So tell the people how it works. FitBot is is particularly great at a time right now where maybe a lot of people are not going to the gym because it's like having your own personal trainer on your phone with you. It gives you all types of exercise that you can do with or without weights, you know, what sort of exercise you're looking for, what you're sort of, sort of trying to work on. It'll give you video tutorials. So you're like, how do I do this exercise? Oh, it's right in front of you right there. And even when you go back to the gym, you can carry it around with you as you sort of ramp up your workouts to get to the type of body that you want to have. So, no, it's just a it's a brilliant, brilliant thing to have with you. It creates a program based on your unique body experience and environment. Their algorithm uses data and analytics to help you build on your last workout to maximize your results. Whether you're exercising three days a week or twice a day, what are you, nuts? Every workout is scientifically proven to be better than the last. <laughs> FitBot workouts are balanced to avoid overworking muscles with varied exercise to keep you sharp. It's easy to use. It has HD video tutorials to make learning new exercises a breeze. Now, look, it's $9.99 a month or $59.99 a year. This piece of copy, which is outdated, says if you sign up through February 28th, you can get 25% off your membership. It seems to me since they gave me this copy, that they are obligated morally to extend that through at least today. Now, if they say to you, no dice, I'm sorry. But it seems to me that they would be able to do that, and we should probably talk to the FitBod people. Build the momentum to carry your fitness journey through the rest of the year with FitBod. And I'm going to read this. Get a 25% off your membership when you sign up now at fitbod.me slash Tony. That's 25% off your membership at fitbod.me slash Tony. Use the code. If they tell you it isn't good, come back to me and tell me. Maybe we can work it out. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. 
This comes from Ted Nallis Miller. It says, hi, Tony. It's Ted Nallis Miller from the Nebraska-South Dakota border. Thanks once again for the opportunity to have our songs on the podcast, and here are a few more for you to play whenever you feel like it. This is called Bank Robber, and they write, Bank Robber is about Alice's grandpa, who she never met, who was actually a bank robber. How great is that? That's phenomenal. Your daddy was a bank robber. How great is this? Fantastic. Bank Robber by Ted and Alice Miller, and they play in Jason Lock and Four of CBS Sports, and we got a billion things to talk about because this is going to be the greatest hot stove league in the history of the NFL. Let's start with somebody who actually did something already, which is J.J. Watt. He went to Arizona. I didn't see that coming. I mean, that division. I mean, to, if, to me, if you're J.J. Watt, you want to go someplace where you're sort of guaranteed to be in the playoffs and you give yourself a shot at the Super Bowl, that division, nobody's yeah. guaranteed to be in anything. Did this surprise you, and what do you make of it? Um, it, it did surprise me on um... – one level, not another. The fact that true contending teams were not falling all over themselves for J.J. Watt was a fact. That was not happening. This this idea that there's multiple teams, three, four, wanting to pay him $16 million a year. No, there weren't. Um, not even the Cleveland Browns who kept, you know, that was a, like, that was a useful symbiotic relationship. The Browns being used, but, oh, my goodness, this generational players considering the Cleveland Browns and then Watts representatives using Cleveland as um, sort of a Trojan horse. And wow, well, the Browns have all this money to spend. And if they're after him, you know, you better yeah. be too. But in reality, he wasn't going to Cleveland. That was never happening. Um, I'm still waiting to peel back all the layers of the onion on this contract. Uh, I suspect there is plenty of, uh, funny money and incentives and not likely to be earned in there. Um, I'm very interested to see what it is at its core. Um, He's still a very good football player, but there are serious health concerns. There's durability concerns. Um, And I don't think it was a robust market for him. And I think a lot of teams are content to see what the cap is, to wait for other guys to get cut, and then to have the supply versus demand, Econ 101, work in their favor in a couple of weeks when the market's open and it's tended, uh, it tends to be flooded. And, and I suspect that J.J. Watt and his representatives saw that dynamic coming as well and said, well, maybe we just should take the best bird in hand right now rather than wait for um, full-throated free agency to start. In two weeks, and then where do we, you know, where do we rank then? It, it might not work in our favor. Um, I, I guess I get it from Arizona's standpoint, kinda. Um, but this isn't a guy who's got a whole lot of tread left on his tires by his own admission, right. and that's right. not a team that I think of as one of the six, seven, eight teams best poised to win a Super Bowl. But, but perhaps I their offseason the- will transform that. I got the Rams clearly ahead of them with Matthew Stafford and a great defense clearly ahead of them. So anyway, okay, that's good. That's good to know. I think I drank the Kool-Aid on that a little bit too soon. Let me go to Drew Brees. Is he retiring? What do you think? Um, look, he's entitled to play this out however he wants to play it out. Um, but the football world is not stopping for Drew Brees, not in New Orleans, not anywhere. Um, I don't see a market for Drew Brees. Um, I, I don't know 
what the end game would be. The Saints have been very much preparing for their future throughout this entire previous season, which everyone in that organization firmly believed would be his last. Um, That included the re-recruiting of Jameis Winston and prioritizing him. Um, They already did a deal with Taysom Hill to keep him around in whatever capacities that um, turns out to be. And they're very interested in Russell Wilson. Um, can they? Is is that feasible? I don't know. These are people, Sean Payton, Mickey Loomis, who tend to think big. Um, they're kind of on their own island. They don't have a traditional relationship with with an owner. Um, they're allowed a, a fairly wide swath to do as they please and and sort of. Um, scheme as they want to scheme, and they are certainly internally trying to figure out a package or packages that could allow them to absorb Russell Wilson's salary, uh, address their myriad other salary cap issues, and find the, the, the mixture of players and draft capital. That would convince uh, Pete Carroll and a John Schneider that we, we can, you know, this is fair, we can, we can do this. I don't know that that's going to happen, Tony, but I can just tell you that if Drew Brees and his camp aren't cognizant of all those wheels spinning, they should be. Um, He's broken down three straight years in the second half, and he's went from a guy who everybody would say, man, remember when that shoulder was a thing and people thought he was brittle and now he never misses a snap, to a guy who suffered major injuries a couple years in a row. And on the other side of those injuries, um, looked, like someone who had significant physical limitations when the season was at its crest and things were most important in December in the playoffs. So um, I think the New Orleans Saints have kind of kept that thing together and kept that run alive as best they can. But it's it's not all about what's best for Drew Brees right now. It's It's going to be about what gives us the best chance to win. And I don't think Drew Brees is at the top of that pecking order anymore. Let me go to Russell Wilson. That was your story first, that Russell Wilson was trying to get out or thinking about getting out of Seattle. The offensive line can't like him now. He's been very critical, which is quarterback suicide. It seems to me he's got to go. He's he's just got to find some other place. Are you of that opinion as well, that wherever he lands, it won't be in Seattle next year? Well, the the situation isn't getting any better. I can tell you that much, Tone. Um, Now, if it is about a bedside manner with him and, and sort of catering to his wishes or, or, or just hearing him out that that five man offensive unit shouldn't all be back anyway. So uh, right. there, there should be some, some, you know, new faces at that end. regardless. I don't, I don't know that I would say it's reached a point of no return, but I would say it's trending in that direction. Um, and the interesting thing, about that situation is the contract, if you trade them after June 1st, it really um, becomes much easier to make plug and play from a, a cap, a cap standpoint. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a normal off season anyway. I don't think people are going to be doing much uh, until training camps open. And so what is really opportunity cost of waiting? You're probably not missing out on that much. He's, he's super smart. Mm-hmm. He's going to pick up whatever your concepts are right away. Now you would say, well, you missed an opportunity to get 2021 draft picks if you do it after June. And you would, but they may want a 
player or players back as well. I don't know that this trade has to be, you know, completely draft pick driven. Uh, if it's the Raiders and you're getting Derek Carr, who, who Seattle, you know, perhaps is willing to live with for a couple of years, um, maybe you're you're getting an, another young rising talent or two. Not that the Raiders have a ton of them. And then the draft picks start coming the following year. People will be willing to get pretty creative for Russell Wilson. And uh, the wind's still blowing in a direction that's not conducive to a long-term relationship there right now. Okay. Okay. Deshaun Watson. The Texans keep saying we're not interested Mm -hmm. in in trading him. He signed this enormous deal and then within months was dissatisfied, apparently, with the owner. A, how did it dissolve so quickly? And B, is he going to be somewhere else next year? Um, I, I think he, for him, it's a matter of, of trust uh, and respect. And he, whatever, I, look, I wasn't in the room when he was talking to Cal McNair. Very few people were. But I was reporting in real time, like within a week of Bill O'Brien being fired, that they've, this quarterback is under the impression that he has at least a half seat at that table. He's at least able to put one butt cheek on a seat at that table. Maybe not both, yeah, but right. that he will be included in this process to some degree that, you know, after basically wasting years, plural, of his um, cheapest uh, contractual years and, and chance to get most bang for the buck with this Bill O'Brien thing, changing coordinators every couple of weeks. I'm calling the plays this week. No, you can call the plays. No, I'm better than you. I'm calling the plays again. Oh, and my makeshift GM who I put, put here in the first place and has no real power, we're pushing him out, and now everything's me. Like the whole toxicity, the, that, just the whole madness that's been going on down there for years. You know, coming out of that, it was supposed to be kinder, gentler, more player-friendly. We're going to mix it all up. And he felt totally disrespected. He felt like they told me what they needed to tell me to get me through the season, but nothing I said mattered. Nothing I say ever will matter. Nothing's really going to change here. Um, and, and there's some elements uh, of, of, of race that are involved in, in this as well. Um, and, you know, what was this process really like? And ultimately they, it did result in, in them hiring an African-American coach. Uh, but without all the the – the sort of passive aggressive battle for hearts and minds that went on between the quarterback and the team, would that have been the end result otherwise? So that one's pretty messy, pretty complicated and pretty personal tone. Um, I don't think you can put this genie back in the bottle. I don't think the Texans really want to test Deshaun Watson's medal when we get to the week of the draft and you start looking at an abyss and a cliff on the other side, because this team is totally rebuilding. This team is going to want numerous first-round picks if they make this move, and they're going to want them right bleeping now, because they should be picking third overall, but that's Miami's pick, because Bill O'Brien, who they overempowered for so long, gave up way too much for a a very good but not transcendent left tackle, and they're still paying the price from that. Um, So I I think it's it it's right now it's very easy for for everyone to be stuck in, including Cal McNair. I think when we get into April, Cal McNair's football people are going to be begging him, "Look, we can't start a regime this way. We can't go to war with our best player. We can't have a rookie GM and a rookie head coach trying to climb out of this Bill O'Brien hole." And all anybody wants to talk to us about, all the media cares about, all the fans care about, all the sponsors care about is, what are you doing with that quarterback? I, I just don't think. That ultimately is tenable, especially when 
you will have a bit of a feeding frenzy for him, and, and they will be able to make a mega trade for him. So that's where I've always thought it's headed. That's where I still right. think it's headed. And if they are stubborn enough or pig-headed enough to call this quarterback's bluff, then this spring and this summer is going to be of their discontent. All right, one other question. Alex Smith, uh, where is he headed? I said the other day it would make a lot of sense for him to go to Jacksonville because he played for Urban Meyer at Utah. Are you with me on that one? I am completely with you. Um, Well, you probably had it ahead of me. I just sort of came up with it. I have no idea. Look, I don't know anything. My assumptions um, from – I wrote a little bit about this a week ago. Yeah, I would think, look, if if Andy Reid wants to bring him back into the fold, if Urban Meyer wants to bring him back into the fold – that's where he should be um, in that coach on the field, um, role model, leader, perfect example, um, a guy you just want to have rub up against the, your, other, your other quarterbacks. If you're looking at him as someone who's going to have to play four, six, eight, gas, no. 16, no. 17 games, you, no, you, you have not looked at last year's film. You have not yeah, talked to your do. doctors. You, you have not assessed this situation properly. Um, but it, does he have, you know, is there room for Alex Smith in, in many quarterback rooms? Absolutely. I think Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence, though, and with Urban Meyer, and, and who knows, Alex might eventually want to get into coaching. This would be kind of like the Josh McCowan thing that's been going on, like, okay, well, I'll kind of be this quasi-coach and see how that goes and probably not have to play much. I think that's the role that would be best suited for him. And I think everybody wants this story to have as positive an ending as it can. And watching what was going on on the football field with him last year, um, I had great trepidation about this being a, a happy ending. I, I, I agree totally. And by the way, I, uh, unlike Wilbon, I'm not at all angry at what uh, the Washington team is doing. I mean, no. Ron Rivera, no, that he, he earned the right to play. He played. They won. Yep. He didn't play particularly well. It's he best for everybody. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's fine. It's fine. No, and it and he should go be, be a mentor a, someplace. A good yeah. guy or a bad guy or someone's right and someone's wrong. This, this was a marriage of convenience born of a contract that Bruce Allen put together eons ago. Otherwise, that he did, wouldn't have been there yes. when Ron Rivera was there. Yes, yes, yes. So plug your uh, radio show for us so people can hear more. Uh, yeah, Tone, you can listen to me ramble from 2 to 6 weekdays, unless the Orioles are playing a game we're broadcasting from uh, the Grapefruit League, in which case we're on more from like 4 to 6. But anyway, uh, as we speak right now, uh, we are on 2 to 6 this particular Wednesday. If you're an Orioles fan who listens to Tone, you will definitely want to tune in around 4 at 105.7 The Fan or on the Radio.com app. We will have the first segment of our extended two-hour interview with Orioles owner John Angelos. So you don't want to miss that, and uh, we'll definitely be talking some football too. And I look forward to talking to you guys down the line. Thank you, Jason. As always, appreciate it very much. Jason Locke and Fora, boys and girls of CBS Sports. We will take a break. When we come back, Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated will join us. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. So this is new. This is the Bloomscape ad. I don't know that we have done this before. We have not, but I'm very excited for okay, this. Okay, so let me, the, the thought all starters. plant life. Yeah, the thought starters are after being stuck indoors all winter, I think we're ready to say good riddance. What are, what are your thoughts about this? 
Well, this they, they have a new program that's going to include their outdoor launch, but I think we can get into what we're actually going to be trying that's coming directly to your house, which is a new indoor, indoor house plant. plant. Indoor house plant. Yeah. And, and this, what I'm going to say now, Michael can back up the veracity of this. I have some house plants for 50 years in the same pot, and I wonder why they're doing so badly. Because Hashtag rootbound. It's just, <laughs> I've just destroyed them. I don't change anything ever. So, so I look forward to this. I'm smiling because one of my chores as a kid was actually watering some of these plants, and I've taken some cuttings and propagated them that I now have sitting in my own home. So if you have a green thumb, that's great, but some of us need a hand. That's why we love Bloomscape. They make it easy to find the perfect plants for your space and to keep them growing all year long. If you don't mind, I'm just sort of going to take this over. Go ahead. Bloomscape delivers healthy plants right to your door, plus all the grow-how you need to help them thrive. They have a grow-how team to help you if you've got questions about lighting, water scheduling, so you don't have to be stuck like I was on the Instagram rabbit hole trying to figure out what does medium bright light actually look like? How close should this be to a vent or to, say, my drafty window? Uh, thousands of people have already upgraded their spaces with beautiful indoor plants from Bloomscape, and now they're going to take it outside with their new outdoor bloom kits, which we'll get to that more as we continue this campaign. But they want us to talk about what we have coming to you. So I went to Bloomscape, and I actually went down. It's a, it's a beautifully presented page. They, they let you pick out a plant. They help you with the pot that you might want it to come in. So you have a Dracaena Song of India that is going to arrive at your house. And actually, this is going to replace one of the Dracaenas that you've always had upstairs. Which is a disaster because they just, you know, <clears throat> again, I keep them in the same pot for 50, again, for 50 years. I'm not exactly Some fresh soil and yeah. a better water schedule uh, yeah. will help you out a lot. Okay. Uh, so talk about the Grow How team. I've not used them yet, but I love that that is a resource there. So I think the first thing people need help with is to get on a good water schedule. You don't need a fancy moisture meter, but pay attention to drainage and pay attention to actually when your plant needs to drink. We're entering spring now, so it's going to be a little thirstier and with some better growth. I'm so embarrassed because, you know, just once a week I look at it and I go, here's some water. You know, I don't. Yeah, you need I'm, water again? Yeah, I guess terrible. the snake plant's good for you. All right. Uh, get 15% off plant orders of $100 with the promo code TonyKBloomscape.com. That's 15% off plant orders of $100 or more at Bloomscape, B-L-O-O-M, like Molly Bloom, B-L-O-O-M-S-C-A-P-E.com. And the promo code is Tony K. And what do we always say? Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, it's Ted and Alice Miller from the Nebraska-South Dakota border. This is called Funny Farm, and they write, Alice and I own a team of horses. We hitch to a wagon. <clears throat> we go on drives through the countryside of Nebraska. Also have chickens, so people will ask us if we farm. We don't, so we tell them we run a funny farm, and this is called Funny Farm. If people like Ted and Alice Miller want to send us their original music about their ancestral bank robbers, and their funny farm. How do they do so, Michael? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. Pat Forty joins us of Sports Illustrated. And before we talk about anything else, tell us about the award your daughter received and how proud you must be. Uh, yeah, she was awarded the Pac-12 uh, Swimming and Diving Scholar Athlete of the Year. Um, she... <laughs> we are actually conducting further DNA testing to see if I'm related to her at all because she's right. completely uh, up in the air at this point. She's got a 395 in human biology at Stanford. That's not me. So uh, she did that, and she won two Pac-12 championships uh, over the weekend. It was a great weekend. You should be so very, very proud. Good for you. Thank That's you. great. I am. 
<clears throat> that's that's really great. It, this is so coincidental because the the number one story in the sports section of the Washington Post today is about Katie Ledecky uh, and about her, you know, becoming a professional swimmer and and no longer just an amateur person who trains. And she talks about the competition. Your daughter is is an Olympic caliber swimmer, and we ask this all the time, but we're getting closer now. We're in the actual year now. In your mind, Pat, will there be an Olympics? Yeah, I think there will, Tony. Um, you know, I think they're they're intent on on trying at this point. I think there would have to be some, you know, real negative development for them to uh, to pull call it off now. Uh, you know, they, there was a lot of a lot of tumult and disagreement in Japan, but the government uh, and the Tokyo Organizing Olympic Committee and the IOC have all come out and said we're we're going ahead. So I think they're going to do it. It's going to look different. You know, they, I, do we have an opening ceremony that looks anything like we normally do? No. You know, there's not going to be a parade of athletes coming in. Uh, the athletes will be in Tokyo for a much shorter amount of time. It's not like you're going to be there hanging out for two or three weeks. Uh, once you're done with your competition, you're basically going to be told to scram. Uh, you know, so things like that will be different. Spectators, there may not be any. Um, you know, I, I, which, you know, I don't know whether Brooke is going to make the team, but if she does, I could at least be there from a media standpoint, which would be a very right. nice uh, right. uh, way to get in. I feel really badly for those who, who wouldn't have that opportunity. Uh, on almost everything having to do with sports, my fallback position is it's a television show, and the Olympics is a television show as well. But but if they have the normal amount of fans that's a tremendous amount of money that's hundreds of millions of dollars coming into the country and if they don't have that uh i don't know that television gets them anywhere near break even do you know anything about that yeah that's a great question probably not i mean japan probably still just loses an absolute ton of yes. money you know i think even just delaying this for a year has been costly to them uh but yeah, you're, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, just the, the incredible amount of tourism money and then, yes, everything for uh, tickets and, and, and food and everything else that goes with actually attending the games themselves. It, it, it would be a, an immense financial loss for Japan, no doubt about it. Uh, would you be nervous going there? I mean, if she makes the team and you get the chance to go, would you be nervous going? No, I wouldn't be. Um, you know, for one thing, I, I certainly hope to be vaccinated soon um, and excited about what they're saying about the efficacy of the, of the vaccination. So I think that's a great place to start. Um, I think by then our, I would bet our Olympic team would be vaccinated if they wanted to be before we, we all left. So, uh, you know, I, I would not be. I, I, I would go and, I, you know, one thing, you, I was talking with some other people about this, if you're going to cover it, be ready to spend 18 hours a day with a mask on in humidity that makes New Orleans look like Phoenix. Uh, it would yeah. be uncomfortable, but but so what? I, I would not be concerned about it. Yeah, yeah. Don't take that Sputnik vaccine. We're not sure about that one. Take, <laughs> take one of these that you can get your hands on. All right, I'm going to shift gears completely. I'll mention our mutual friend Joe Lenardi. Uh, the last time I looked, he had Duke, Michigan State, and Syracuse all out. All out, maybe North Carolina out. I don't, I don't know. Um, is, are we looking? How can you not have Duke and Michigan State? I mean, come on. Are they really out? Are they out? Uh, it's close. It's really close. I, I think 
as of right now, like today, I would say Duke probably just out, Michigan State just in. But that can change. Obviously, you win one, lose one. It's going to be right down to the wire. And then we're going to get the, the – what we've always wanted to sit in the room and listen to is, can we really have this tournament without Duke and Michigan State? You know? <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's a television show. You're on money. One saying, uh, excuse me, get Duke in the field. You yeah, know, they, yeah. They are human beings, and as you said, they are putting on a, a basically a, – well, it's almost 100% a television show this year because there's not going to be that much attendance – and yeah. those teams draw numbers. So uh, we will see what the, you know, the cold metrics of the quad one victories and all that sort of thing versus the um, we want people to watch this uh, calculus is. So the other day we did a story on PTI about hockey. And the basic premise of the story was, okay, Toronto has the best record, <clears throat> but they only play the teams in Canada. And when we get to the final four in hockey – no team will have played any of the teams that are outside of their geographical area. So how do you establish seeding? How do you bet? How does all of that work? College basketball is closer to that this year than it has ever been. You know, whatever games you had, you had months ago. And since then, with the exception of North Carolina losing to Marquette, which tells you something about the ACC. Since then, it's absolutely intramural. This seems to me to be one of those years where if a six or a seven seed won the whole thing, you'd go, yeah, I, I get it because I don't have any idea what are the relative strengths. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> no doubt about it. I mean, if you, if you go back to the glory days of the Mr. Tony uh, bracket contest, this is one where the, the stripper wins for sure. You know, I mean, where, where it's just going to be complete. I think just that it's going to be such a randomized crapshoot for the for, for many reasons, but that's one of the big ones is the fact that seeding is going to be incredibly hard. You haven't seen these teams play anybody other than the other competition within their conference, and, and even the, there was very limited non-conference play, even though if it was a long time ago, there wasn't just wasn't that much of it. And right, right. And how are they going to react to you know? Everybody going to one. We're going to have 68 teams in one city. It's going to be the most glorious cluster bomb. I mean, I, I, how are they going to actually make this thing work? And then what happens? I think it's inevitable. Some team's going to be tested out of the tournament. You know, somebody's going to have two positive tests or three positive tests, and they're not going to be able to play. And all of a sudden, are you looking at a forfeit? They've actually got a plan for the first round at least where they're going to have four like standby teams ready to, to jump in if somebody uh, can't play. You know, this is we are heading into an extremely randomized tournament. I think it should be a lot of fun for that reason. I'm one of those people that always knocks Gonzaga because I don't like the um, <clears throat> conference they're in. I don't think it bears them to win six games, four of which are always against very good teams. But this year, Gonzaga in, I grant you, it's many months ago, but boy, oh boy, they beat Iowa, they beat Kansas and put 102 on them. They beat Virginia by 23 and put 98 on them. They beat West Virginia. It is really hard to look at Gonzaga and not believe that they are in a league of their own. Yeah, no, they're great. I think they're really good. I think they're the best offensive team in the country. Uh, it's, I, I think it's probably Mark Hughes' best team, and he's had some really good ones. Uh, experienced, athletic, deep. 
uh, share the ball incredibly well. They're fun to watch. So, you know, I think this is their year. Um, now, that's not to say they will win. I mean, I think Baylor's incredibly good and tough, and the Big Ten, the best teams in the Big Ten are really good. But if, if, if you're Gonzaga, you're sitting there saying, this is our chance. I know they had a really good chance yeah. in 2017, made the championship game and uh, lost to North Carolina. But I think you look at them against the rest of the field this year and say, they are the deserving favorite going into this thing. I agree with that. I really, I, I really do. I'll get you out of here on this, and maybe this is not really big news for Sports Illustrated, but Binghamton uh, parted ways with its coach <clears throat> the other day after nine years. Uh, what do we do? How do we get competitive in the very, very tough America East against such teams <laughs> as the New Jersey Institute of Technology in Hartford? What do we do? Give us some advice. Who do we hire? He's running around yeah. up there in the state, you know. I mean, his, his team's played like 11 games this year. They got shut down, you know, three times, I think. So, that, you know, if you want to win, Tony, you, you better get down in the in the in the gutter here. Let's let's go get let's go get a bag man. Let's get a coach who's going to buy some players. Let's go get some kids uh, from the wrong side of the tracks who can play and strap them up. I couldn't agree more. Thank you, Pat. <laughs> Thank you, Pat Forty, boys and girls. We'll talk to you soon. You have to do brackets for us, so we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Pat. Pat Forty. I'm in. Uh, we, will, we will take a break, and we will come back with uh, email and a jingle. I am Tony Kornheiser. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Michelob Ultra read. In sports, if you think joy only happens after you win, think again. Look at the world's most successful athletes. They don't spend all their days grinding away. They take the time to enjoy themselves, like having a Michelob Ultra with friends, because they know that happiness is the key to winning and that joy is the whole game, not just the end game. In my life as a sports writer and somebody on television, I can think of two teams that exemplified this m more than others. And I don't want you to get the wrong impression because to be a professional athlete means you have to work very, very hard at it. You're in an extraordinarily narrow slice of accomplishment when you reach the pros. But having fun is important as well. I would give you two. I would give you the 2019 Nats, who every time they hit a home run, danced in the dugout. And when they danced in the dugout, the camera stayed on them. And it made all of us who rooted for the team very happy. And there was a sidebar to that. If Adam Eaton or Howie Kendrick were involved in a play that resulted in a run, they sat next to each other on the bench and they did a power shift as if they were driving a car. And that, too, gave them great joy and gave us as viewers great joy. The obvious other example is the 85 Bears, maybe the greatest single-season team in the NFL when they put together the Super Bowl shuffle. And everyone went, oh, my God, you can't do that. That's going to jinx you. You've got to keep your nose to the grindstone. But no, they were the best team ever. They went through the playoffs something like 91 to 10. And even Wilbon knows how good they were, and I don't get angry when he says it. So that is the great joy that you can take from sports. Michelob Ultra, 95 calories, 2.6 grams of carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony's mailbag, got your email, faxes, and 
knows Here comes Tony's mailbag Gonna read some for all of you folks Thank you, Kirsten. Thank you very, very much. Nigel, why don't you do the Bethesda Bagel ad for us? Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then stop on in. Who knows? You might get the bagel sandwiches that we got like we today. Did. Very yeah. thrilled about that. So stop on in yeah. and you'll be thrilled as well. I'm always happy to see what Nigel writes, what song he quotes. Today he goes, take me on a trip upon your magic swirling ship. My senses have been stripped. My hands can't feel to grip. My toes too numb to step. Wait only for my boot heels to be wandering. That was a hit record by The Birds, but it's written by Bob Dylan. Um, it's wonderful. Both versions are wonderful. I'm yes, partial to The yes, Birds because I heard it first. Yeah. Thanks to our guests today, Jason Lockenfora, Pat Forty. Thanks to our sponsors, Fitbod, Bloomscape, and Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio.com. If you do listen to the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. Let I, me read I keep, some I keep thinking about how you opened the show with KJ's jingle. I'm sure all the jinglers are, are like Matt Damon and Goodle Hunting. Do you know how easy this is for me? I'm sorry you can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What can you do? From Jared Schofer in um, Washington, D.C. Do you remember me? Because I sure as heck fire remember you. Bing. I'm a loyal little and we met a couple of times at the Palm back when going to restaurants was a thing. I'm writing to ask if I could be the official USA crosser of the Tony Kornheiser show. In mid-March, I'm going to begin walking across the country to raise money for cancer research. A wise man once said, if you want to walk more, walk more. So here I go. I'll be starting Los Angeles. I hope to reach Phoenix in 13 days. Should I give Wilbon a call? Any chance he'd do a mile with me? No. Either way, I'm sure he won't be surprised. From there, I'll continue to New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Virginia, finishing at Virginia Beach. Would you recommend I use boat shoes for this 3,000-mile endeavor? Perhaps a new pair of Skechers, size 10 and a half. Alas, I'm a size 12. Maybe I'll need a new belt. Like Michael, I went to Penn. Go Quakers. If the Littles want to keep up with my adventure, they can follow me on Instagram at at Jared, J-A-R-A-D, 2112. I want you to spell out my first name since it's spelled a little bit differently, not like Tony, J-A-R-A-D. If any Littles would like to donate to the cause, the information can be found on my Instagram account. It's very nice. I'd consider taking the long way around Texas. Yeah, <laughs> masks on, even though the governor just said masks off. Jamie Julian writes to us 18 months ago i started listening to a podcast called too beautiful to live within days i had my first david aldridge moment the host mentioned listener dr garrett schumann and i yelled hey i know that guy he's the little who composed the main riff for the fibonacci song on the diane kruger effect album small word <laughs> world podcast colliding a couple of weeks ago i saw liana DiNardo interacting with too beautiful to live on twitter and again i hollered hey i know her She's the little who beat me in the Littles Fantasy Football Championship a couple of years ago. My interest was piqued. I had to know what the Venn diagram of Too Beautiful to Live and TK looked like. So I took to Twitter to find out. Turns out there's one very notable Little in this crossover universe. One of the hosts weighed in and said his good friend listened to Tony all the time. That friend, the one and only, Gretchen Wu. The connective tissue of your podcast just keeps going and going, ensnaring other podcasts like a fun-filled spiderweb of joy or something. Jeff Dolker in Livonia, Michigan writes, with all your gushing about Peter Asher and your love of documentaries, I was surprised you have not mentioned the recent Linda Ronstadt, The Sound of My Voice biopic. 
Not only is Peter Asher featured in this documentary, but the sheer quantity of color archival film is amazing. There's so many video clips from Ronstadt's career dating back to the early 70s. It will remind you of every phase of our career, some of which you might not even have been aware of. The collaborators is also impressive, including but not limited to Don Henley, Glenn Fry, Jackson Brown, Aaron Neville, Dolly Parton, J.D. Souther, Bonnie Raitt, and you get the idea. I've enclosed an old and a new picture of Peter Asher at 76 is still getting it done. I keep getting asked about Peter Asher. Um, it, this is, I made a fool of myself. I grant you that. You continue to do so. Damon in Seattle, Washington. Two nights ago, I had a dream that my dog was chasing a rabbit. I don't own a dog, and I live in downtown Seattle. Not many rabbits in my zip code. Your show has officially invaded my dreams. Congrats to you. Kevin Baxter writes, Tony's water bill sounds like a good opportunity to be a defendant on Hot Bench. Is Hot Bench still on? I love that show. I used to watch it all the time. Alan Spitzer in Chevy Chase, Maryland. Not that Alan Spitzer. During your Wednesday Zip Recruiter ad, you asked, how do you think I got Nigel? I thought Reginald recommended him to you. Am I wrong? Did the monkey not bring Nigel to you? Just want to get the story straight. Uh, from Daniel in Brighton, Massachusetts, about 20 minutes west of Rivera. I, too, share your frustration with the Rehoboth City water supply. Just last month, on the 13th, to be specific, I had my water inexplicably cut off while I was in the middle of washing my fleet of Subaru Outbacks. Luckily for me, I was able to find a good Samaritan who'd left their front door unlocked, which allowed me to take about 150 gallons of water to finish off the job. Uh, Mike Sippert, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. The answer to your high water bills and mystery water usage lies in your enemies list. By cross-checking flight logs and public schedules, I've eliminated his suspects, Nick Saban, Novak Djokovic, and various Uber drivers in the D.C. metro area. The one person who is unable to provide an alibi for January 13th is Louise Gluck. Well, Ms. Gluck refuses to reply to my calls and emails. It's interesting. She's left several new poems about the joy of a 30-minute shower and the ennui of water theft. From Travis Hagen. I hope I pronounced that right. I had to write in after listening to the podcast to express my incredulity at Wilbon's act of walking off the golf course because of 60-mile-per-hour gusts of wind. Come on, man. You're from the Windy City. Those of us who live in the northern Great Plains step outside in 60-mile-an-hour prevailing winds and say, eh, just a light breeze today. I would challenge you, Mr. Tony, to meet me at the links of North Dakota. Michael, are you familiar with that? I am not. The Links of North Dakota up in Ray, a beautiful course along the banks of the Missouri River. So the Missouri River probably starts way up, in the, way up there. But you just not blow away getting out of your car. There's nothing quite like stepping up to the tee box there and ripping a 380-yard drive right down the middle of the fairway. The feeling is unparalleled until you turn around on the next hole and your tee shot starts coming back towards you at its zenith like a boomerang in the outback. A player like yourself in that situation might be able to finally reach 100 yards on one drive and then have your next tee shot set a negative total distance. Walking off the course at 60 miles an hour, miss me with that fair weather golfing. P.S. I'm really disappointed how you read an email on the air about a month ago from my older brother, Matt Haugen, who happens to be a real doctor before you read one from me. But I'm over it. I'm getting married on June 12th this year in Fargo, North Dakota. I haven't quite convinced the woman to whom I will be related by marriage to be a little yet, but she at least knows your name. Baby steps. If you and the gang wanted to drop in, I attach the invite. Most parties involved will be vaccinated. <laughs> Most. will gladly accept one of Michael's wedding gifts out of his old bedroom. It's in flyover country. But considering you don't fly, that shouldn't be an issue. From Luke Victor. Catching up on this week's episodes, can't help but wonder what's going on with Wilbon. Weather averages over the past hundred years, what happened is statistics are evil. Just go outside. Sunny or cloudy, windy or calm, rain or snow. The next thing he will try to say is Toronto's in the heart of the Midwest. 
from Greg Wells in Wyomissing, and that's that how it's pronounced, Wyomissing, sure. Pennsylvania. Mr. Tony, an actual exchange from a recent show. Michael, press the pause button. Tony, I don't know how to do that. And Mr. Tony, I would offer that how to do that can be found right here in the expression. There's a pause button. Press it. Right? And one more from on Rich it. Bodek. Pitchers and catches reporting, which brings up an important question for so many of us. What to do with our fantasy baseball teams? The Subterranean Homesick League, of course, named after my album, Subterranean Homesick Blues, not to be confused with Robert Zimmerman's similarly named album, <laughs> has a new theme every year as owners rename our teams. In the past, we've had Beatle hits, Bruce Springsteen hits, political scandals, the 70s, and more. This year, we're stumped. What is a group of English professors and historians to do? The answer is obvious. We want to know what our favorite fellow doctor, Dr. Hofwoff, DHL, suggests. You name it, we'll do it. Also, can the Subterranean Homesick League be the official fantasy baseball league of Tony Corners or Tony Corners or so, show? Sure. He's a professor of history and director of European studies in the Department of History at the College of Charleston. Michael, you want to think about this, and we'll say it in the next time. Uh, we can what think is our about theme? it. Something thematic would be good. So if you're out on your bike, everyone, as always, do wear white. Hola, nosotros somos Pineapple Landscaping y escuchamos el show de Tony Kornheiser. Pero este show apesta. Your daddy was a bank robber Never had time for you Your daddy was a bank robber Never had time for you Moved around from town to town And that's all you ever knew Your daddy was a music man Picked with the best of them Your daddy was a music man, pick with the best of them. Affection was never as strong as side yourself, you learned to fail. But thinking love like I do, I wish love was all you knew. But thinking love like I do, I wish love was all you knew.